Scripture reading this evening will come from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer, then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to it one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The fact that Jesus said as much as he did about hell ought to cause all of us to perk up our ears and to pay attention. We live in a day and an age when people would rather not discuss the subject, we would rather not hear much about the subject, and indeed, it's very, very little spoken of, both in and out of classrooms and pulpits. But when we stop and think about what our Savior taught, and even in the readings that we, that we did this past week as we considered the great day that's coming, you cannot escape the fact, you can't escape the reality that Jesus and indeed the New Testament in general has a great deal to say about the subject of hell. The question this evening that I'd like for us to spend a few moments thinking about is, why did Jesus say as much as he did about hell? And just by way of introduction, I'd like to point out that Jesus himself is our primary source for the doctrine of hell. That is to say, if you wanted to know about what hell will be like, if you wanted to know about the duration, if you wanted to know about the, the, the individual particulars of hell, looking at the words of Jesus is going to be the primary source. You'll find other passages and references in the, in the New Testament, but looking at the words of Jesus, he spoke about hell in 31 different passages. And what I mean when I say he spoke about hell, he talked about things like, he didn't, even if he didn't use the word hell, he talked about the things, things like everlasting destruction. Or he talked about things like a soul being lost. Or he talked about eternal judgment. And so in 31 passages, not counting the parallels that are found in the gospel accounts, Jesus spoke about this subject. We ought to listen to what our Savior had to say. And when he preached about hell, when he taught his followers and others about hell, Jesus was unapologetic. Jordan just read a passage a moment ago where Jesus concludes his parable about the sheep and the goats, and he says, these shall go away into everlasting darkness. He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, and Jesus never stops to apologize. He never says, you know what, maybe that's a bit harsh. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should rethink what I've got in my notes here. He never stops and does that. He preaches about hell and he does so unapologetically. Not only that, but his preaching about hell is vivid. 
in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 and following, he speaks about hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He uses vivid terminology to describe the horrors and the terrors of this place, the abode of the wicked, the place where the devil and his angels and all the unrighteous of all the ages are consigned. Jesus spoke about it in vivid terminology. And also when Jesus spoke about hell, he spoke about it sorrowfully. In our Bible class this morning, we read Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39, where Jesus cried over the city of Jerusalem. And he said, how long I've longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Sometimes Christians can be kind of mean-spirited when it comes to the subject of hell. And what I mean by that is, we almost act like we're happy that somebody's going to be lost. We almost like, act like we're happy that someone is going to suffer that fate. Jesus, when he spoke about it, was unapologetic. He was vivid. He was real about it. But he was also sorrowful at the idea that some people are going to suffer that fate. As you think about the subject of hell, what I want us to do with our study tonight is this. We could do a great Bible study about the doctrine of hell by looking at what Jesus said about it. That is to say, we could, we could take all the individual passages and put them together and what, does, what kind of picture does Jesus paint? We could do a study like that. Maybe we will another time. What I want us to do instead though tonight is this. I want us to ask the question, why? What was Jesus trying to do? What points was he trying to make when he brought this subject up? And you might be fascinated to see some of the different things that Jesus has to say to you about the subject of hell as you think about why he said what he said. More than anything else, he wants all of us to stop and to take account of our lives, and he wants us to think about what lies beyond the great day. There's a great day coming. We're going to meet our God in judgment. Are you prepared? What does Jesus want for us to think about? What should we think about when it comes to the subject of hell? Number one this evening, Jesus wants people to think about the value of our souls. The value of our souls. You ever know somebody that had something that was really valuable? Maybe they worked really hard or somebody else worked really hard to present that gift to that person and that person just despised it. Never really appreciated its value, never really appreciated what it cost, what it meant. Sometimes we do that with our souls. And Jesus is saying, and he uses hell and the threat of hell to, to try to cause us to understand in relief, our souls are valuable. Listen to what he says. In Mark chapter eight, verses 36 and following, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, there's a lot wrapped up in that one word, loses his own soul. What's he getting at? What's he saying? He's saying, I might well be able to gain everything I ever wanted in this world. But if I lose my soul, if I end up in hell, what has it profited me? What good has it done? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, Jesus is asking us to do a priority list, 
a value list. What's most important? What's most valuable? And he's saying, it's not your car and your house. It's not even your job. What's most valuable in your life is your soul. Don't do anything that's going to cause you to lose that. Because what will it profit? Another passage in John chapter 3, verse 16 we use this to preach good news, but think about the dark side of John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There's a lot wrapped up in that word perish. He's talking about the eternal fate of the wicked. He's saying in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, that we will lose our souls. In John 3:16, he's saying that we will perish. But that doesn't mean annihilation. It means that we lose everything that is good, everything that is noble, everything that is worthwhile about ourselves. We're far from God and we're that way for eternity. What does Jesus say about the value of our soul? In John chapter 5, verse 24, the Lord says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. So when we say Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, that statement is true. Strictly speaking, he mentioned the word heaven more, more frequently than he mentioned the word hell. Actually, there's a couple of different Greek words that are used and translated hell. But when you talk about things like losing one's soul, about perishing, about coming into judgment, Jesus had a great deal to say about hell and indeed very probably more than he had to say about heaven itself. And what Jesus is doing is he's being evangelistic here. He's saying to you and he's saying to me, it's not worth it to spend your life and waste it on things that don't really matter. It's not worth it to spend your life and waste it apart from God because your ultimate fate, your ultimate destiny will prove that you made a wicked and a foolish decision. And by the way, when he talked about the eternal fate of those that are wicked, the parable of the rich man and the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, in verse 26, Jesus described that there was a great gulf, a great chasm. There's no evangelist going from heaven to hell to preach to others. That idea of the great gulf, the idea of the unbridgeable gap, that's important. Jesus didn't say, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his soul, but then later he'll have an opportunity to repent and to change. He doesn't say it that way. He says this is a permanent decision. Once you pass out of this life, your fate is sealed. We need to choose wisely while we live. So why did Jesus speak about hell? He spoke about hell to describe to us the value, the preciousness of our soul. But not only that, secondly, he used the idea of hell to describe some strategies for attacking worldliness. The world is all around us and very often we accept its values, we accept its ideals, we accept its morals. The things that we think are so precious, that the world thinks are so precious, they, they become ours. And Jesus uses hell in his teaching to describe some strategies for attacking worldliness. Look at this. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus said, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. 
Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. What's he doing? He's saying you need to get a handle on your anger. You need to get a grip on your resentment and your contempt for somebody else because that kind of attitude, that kind of heart, and that kind of spirit is going to lead you to hellfire. Those are the Lord's words, not mine. Should I, should I think it's okay? I have a right to be angry. I have a right to stay angry. I have a right to be full of contempt and resentment and bitterness. Not if I listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever acts this way continually without regret, without remorse, without any type of repentance shall be in danger of hellfire. Other passages along these lines, a strategy for attacking worldliness. Listen to what he says, Matthew 18, 9. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. He said this back in the Sermon on the Mount as well in Matthew chapter 5. It is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. There's Jesus again saying there might be some difficult really permanent types of choices that you need to make. Think about it, plucking out your eye. Or in another passage in Mark chapter nine, cutting off your hand, cutting off your foot. That's a permanent decision. That's not gonna be reattached. That's not going to be put back into your body and once again useful. It's something that's gonna last the rest of your life. And Jesus is saying, even if it's painful and it lasts the rest of your life, it's better to make that kind of decision and be saved than it is to be lost with two eyes or two hands or two feet. Strategies for attacking worldliness. If there's something in our lives that is bringing continual temptation, continually it's stumbling block, continually causing us to sin, Jesus says it would be better for us to consider cutting that out of our lives altogether than to be lost on the day of judgment. Strategies for attacking worldliness. So why did Jesus bring this up? Well, he wanted to show us the value of our souls, yes, but he also wants to help us to think about how to deal with worldliness and the challenges of sin. Number three, I believe one of the reasons why Jesus talked about hell was because he wanted to help us with our expectations regarding numbers. What do you mean by that? Expectations regarding numbers. God wants all men to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. God wants everybody to be saved. But Jesus spoke very realistically, and we just talked about this a few moments ago. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, is everybody going to be saved? What say you, Jesus? Is everybody going to be saved? Enter by the narrow gate, he says. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. There's a lot wrapped up in that word destruction. Think about the way that Jesus describes hell. He describes it as a place where your soul is lost, as a place of fire, as a place of everlasting darkness, outer darkness. Here he describes it as a place of destruction, of perishing. He says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I need, as a human being, to have 
biblical expectations regarding how many people are going to be saved. And that doesn't mean that we ever stop and it doesn't mean that we ever slow down and striving to reach those who are lost. It doesn't mean that we ever give up hope or stop praying for people who are lost. But Jesus says we need to be realistic about this because God is. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. In John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But then watch this. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. What is hell? It's a place where the wrath of God is poured out. It's a place where people experience it in an undiluted type of environment. Jesus is saying, if people don't put their hope and trust in me, if people don't put their confidence in me to save them from their sin, this is what's going to be the result. In another passage, in John 3, verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Sometimes people have discussions like this, and I want you to think about this for just a moment. What about the person in Timbuktu that never heard the gospel, that never knew about Jesus and never had any kind of association with scripture? What about people like that? What happens to them? They live their lives and they die. All I can respond in kindness is this. Jesus himself said, whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Their problem is not, and the problem of humanity is not that we haven't heard of Jesus. The problem of humanity is sin, brothers and sisters. The fact that we have sinned against God, that's the problem. That's why we're condemned already. And the answer and the solution to being condemned already is that we respond in loving faith to Jesus Christ and he can save us from our sin. We need to understand what the problem is. The problem is not that people haven't heard. The problem is sin. And where sin has gone must go his grace. Let's be evangelistic. Why did Jesus talk about hell? Expectations regarding numbers. The wages of sin is death, he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I sin, I earn something, I earn a wage. And the wage will be paid on that great day that's coming unless I receive the gift that God offers. Why did Jesus talk about hell? Number four, he wants all of us to think about the consequences of our teaching. He wants all of us to think about where our teaching is leading. In James chapter three, verse one, James said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, you shall incur a stricter judgment. James said, you better take it seriously. If you're gonna stand in front of people, if you're gonna sit around a living room and you're gonna to talk to people about the Bible and you're gonna tell them things about God's word, you better be careful what you say because heaven and hell hang in the balance. And here's what he said to the Pharisees. I was reading a book that was talking about some of these matters and 
one of the authors kind of made a joke. He said, Jesus apparently had not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence Pharisees, because here's what he said to the Pharisees. He says in Matthew 23, verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, that is, he becomes a disciple of the Pharisees, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you guys are lost and the people that you're teaching and converting to your way of life are twice as much lost as you are. They're taking bad seeds and going from bad to worse. And then he doesn't stop there. In Matthew 23 and verse 33, he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? What's he doing? He's trying to get the Pharisees to wake up one last time. He wants them to open their eyes to the fact that even though they think they're teachers of the law, and even though they know their Old Testament backwards and forwards, they've missed the point. The point of everything in the Old Testament was that we can't save ourselves and that only God can do that. And only God can do that through his son, Jesus Christ. And they had missed all of that. And so while they held on to their traditions and they held on to their rituals and they held on to their teachings of the law, they missed the forest for the trees. And people were gonna be lost because of what those Pharisees were teaching. We need to think very carefully, those of us who teach, those of us who preach, about the effect and the consequences of our teaching. What are we trying to get people to do? Are we speaking as the oracles of God? First Peter chapter four, verse 11. Are we giving people every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus used hell to describe the consequences of our teaching. Jesus spoke to some Jews on one occasion in John chapter 8, verses 44 and 45. Listen to what he said to them. You are of your father, the devil. That statement right there is going to turn a lot of people off, isn't it? He didn't stop there, though. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. That's who he is. His mouth is moving. That must mean he's lying. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I tell you the truth, and that's why you don't believe me. Jesus was plain spoken about these matters. Maybe one of the things that God's people need to do in kindness and in love and in compassion for souls is maybe we need to reflect some on why Jesus spoke about hell and ask ourselves, do I need to think about some changes in my own life and do I need to think about some changes in the way that I address and talk to others? Why did Jesus speak about hell? He spoke about hell because of our need to be ready to prepare. There's a great day coming. In Matthew 25, that one chapter, there are three parables. And each one is a parable of preparation, of being ready. There's the parable that we talked about this morning of the wise and foolish virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It's about watching. Watch for when the bridegroom comes because those foolish virgins who were not prepared, the Bible says, and it's very ominous, the door was shut. They couldn't come in to the wedding feast. And then in the next parable, right after it, the parable of the talents, 
five-talent man, two-talent man, one-talent man. The master leaves them all with talents, and they're supposed to invest to their master's glory in their master's service, working for their master. The one-talent man who refused to invest, what did Jesus say was his fate? In verse 30 of Matthew 25, he will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I say again, Jesus is a primary source for the doctrine of hell. He tells us what it's going to be like. We need to listen to his words. Third lesson out of Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, all gathered before him from all nations on a great day of judgment. And the sheep and the goats are separated. What's the fate of those who are the goats? Verse 41, verse 46, Jesus mentions being cast into eternal fire. He mentions eternal punishment. He wants us to hear those words because he wants us to prepare. He wants us to watch. He wants us to work. He wants us to make sure that we are ready to meet our Lord in judgment. Why did Jesus talk about hell? It's a fascinating question, but it's one that needs to be answered because the reasons why Jesus talked about hell ought to be the same reasons why you and I bring it up. They ought to be the same reasons why we think about it. As much as we don't like to think about that idea, Jesus spoke about it frequently and it is in the future, and it is the destiny of countless millions who have lived on this planet and still live today. Let's be workers for the Lord. Let's be devoted to our Savior. Jesus died so that nobody would have to suffer the fate of hell, eternal fire, eternal torment forever and ever. He died for that reason. He died to save us from our sins, but he died to save us from this wrath. And he can save you tonight. Maybe you're ready to obey the gospel and you know that you need Jesus to save you. You want to put your faith and your trust in him because the wrath of God abides on those who are condemned, but it does not abide on those who believe. Come to Christ, put your trust in him, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening or if we can help you by praying for you, praying with you, won't you make your need known while together we stand and while we sing.